Let's take our Bible and turn to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. James chapter 4, you see in your bulletin the title of the sermon from this little paragraph, James 4, 13 to 17. The title is Making Plans God's Way. Boy, is this a practical section for me and for you and for all of us here in this place. James 4, follow with me as I read the passage and then I will preach it. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live And also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. The story is told of a multi-millionaire who lived in New York City. He was a man very busy with his work schedule and travel schedule, and he had come to the end of his life journey, and shortly thereafter, he died. But just before he died on his deathbed, he expressed great remorse and grief for what his conscience had told him was a wasted life. He said, just before he died, Oh, if I could only be spared a couple more years, I I would give all of my wealth that I have accumulated away. It is a life devoted to money-getting that I regret. It is this which weighed me down, and it makes me despair, and it makes me fear of where I'm going to go when I die. What this man regretted at the end of his life, James wants you to realize now before it's too late. And what is that? What is the lesson that James wants us to know? Making plans, making plans, making plans with no regard for God at all. With no regard for God. James wants you to hear this, and Pastor James wants you to take action before it is too late. Now, in our lives, to hear his word, to hear his message, to receive it, to act upon it, to be a hearer of the word and a doer of the word as well. Now, in the book of James, he wants us to make plans. He wants us to make plans, but hear me carefully, we have to make plans God's way. If you're like me, you're a person who plans. I'm a planner. Maybe you're a planner as well. 
You can look on the calendar on your iPhone or on your laptop and you have a packed out calendar. You've got your appointments and your lunches and your travels and your vacations and you've got your daily routine. I have my days laid out in a very specific routine and a regimen. Even my prayer time, I plan it out. My pastoral week, my counseling, my lunches, my appointments, my sermon preparation, my date night, my family worship times. I plan all of it out. I'm a planner. So are you. We have many, many plans. Planning is good. And planning is necessary. Let me prove that to you before we continue. In Proverbs 15, verse 22 Here's what Solomon says, with many counselors, your plans will succeed. Later on, Proverbs 16, verse 3, commit your works to the Lord and your plans will be established. It's good to plan. Proverbs 21, 5, the plans of the diligent surely lead to advantage. It's a good thing to plan. It's a necessary thing to plan. But... Presumption and self-sovereignty is sinful. Uh, James, in this paragraph, James 4, 13 to 17, is not talking about just merely making plans. Rather, James is speaking specifically about the sin of presumption. He says, how do we make plans God's way? That's what he's going to teach. How do we make plans God's way? Because if we sort of define our terms, a plan is a flexible, detailed plan, of course, for action based on careful consideration of the facts and you hold it with an open hand. That's a plan. Presumption is a superficial design for action established on my finite knowledge and my self-perceived objections and objectives and my self-governing motives. Plans are good, presumptions are not. Planning, when you and I make plans, it recognizes the uncertainties of life. Presumption doesn't. Planning recognizes the brevity of life. Presumption doesn't. Planning considers the will of God. Presumption ignores it. Planning is rational. Planning is humble. Planning is biblical. Presumption is irrational and boastful and sinful. We, we, we cannot presume, we cannot pretend that we are self-appointed sovereigns over our own life and make our own plans as if we know what's going to happen, as if we're in control of all things. We can't do that, but we have to make plans. So how do we do that? That's the question. How do we do that? We have to learn to plan God's way. And that's where this paragraph is so helpful. How many times do we say, yep, I'll be there. Yep, I will do this. Yep, tomorrow I'll do this. Yeah, next week I'll do that. Yeah, we're going to go on vacation there. I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. So in this paragraph, James 4, 13 to 17, God is going to teach us how to make plans his way. And for my thesis statement, I want to give you three super important lessons. 
I don't know if that's a theological way to put it, but three super important lessons to help you learn how to make plans God's way. Here are the three points. Number one, you must make your plans. I'm going to define it, but you've got to make your plans. Number two, your God reigns. Not you, but your God reigns. And then number three, mortify your pride. So we have to know, yes, I must make my plans. Then I need to know that my God reigns. And then number three, I must mortify my pride. That's the outline. That's what God is going to teach. Three super important lessons on how to make plans God's way. Let's look at the passage and let's just follow it as James leads us through the paragraph. The first super important lesson for how to make plans God's way is, well, first, you have to make your plans. You have to make your plans. James says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city. Interestingly, in the original Greek, come now is like the Greek way of a coach loudly getting the team's attention. Hey, you, listen up, is the idea. It's a very, it's a very personal, it's a very emphatic, it's a very urgent, you might almost hear it aloud, imperative. Listen up. And what we learn in verse 13 is that your life and my life is full of plans, full of plans. Do you see the well-ordered plan in verse 13? There's four will verbs. Here's a guy who's going to go to this or that city. And then second, he will spend a year there. And then third, he will carry on business. And then fourth, he's going to make a profit. I mean, here's a guy with four future verbs. I'm going to do this. I'm going to stay there this long. I'm going to make money. I'm going to make a profit. I'm going to carry on by business. This is what I do. This is my work. This is my job. This is my life. Don't miss the four will statements. We will go to such and such a city. We will spend a year there. We will engage in business. We will make a profit. It's hard to see that in English, but in the original Greek, it's obvious. Four wills. This is a self-sovereign attitude. Let's call him Mr. Businessman. Mr. Businessman is a handsome man, he's well-dressed, he's well-respected, and he's very, very good and excellent at his profession. He's a busy guy, he's sought out by many, he's booked full with his clients and meetings and conferences and conventions and dinners and speaking engagements. The guy is a good businessman and he's well-respected, he's well-liked, he's well-sought out, and he's very busy. He travels. He makes plans. He does his thing. And he's also a Christian. He's a Christian. He knows Christ. He loves the Lord. He studies his Bible every day. He wants to follow Christ. And yet you and I might hear this little anecdote about Mr. Businessman, and we say, well, what's the problem with Mr. Businessman? Is it that he needs to quit his job or make less money or stop his travels? Is the problem that he makes a lot of money and that he's well-respected or that he's making a bunch of plans? Is that the problem? And the answer is no. 
The problem in that little anecdote with Mr. Businessman is he needs to bring God into his plans and submit genuinely and thoroughly to God's will. Maybe you and I can relate. We we make plans. We have our agenda. We have our calendar. We have our schedule. We've got things that we do and things that you have to do. Things that you're prepared for. Things that you're ready to do. Things that you are called upon for your duty and your obligation and your work of life. The problem is not so much with our occupations. That's not what what James is getting at. The problem is with the heart attitude while going about our work. Why? Because so often we can plan our day, we can schedule our lives. Here's the tricky part. As if we controlled what was going to happen. And we forget, I'm not in control. But God is in control. God is in control. That's why James, in a very emphatic way, is saying, Hey, church, listen up. Come now, you who say, and all these four future Plans. I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this. Verse 14. James is going to say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Your life is short. Look at verse 14. Yet, James says, you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. And James says, you're making your plans, you're doing your schedule, you're saying, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. But where's God in your planning? Remember Proverbs 27, verse 1. Solomon said, do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day will bring forth. Don't boast. Do you see it there in verse 14? You don't even know what your life is going to be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor. Story is told of a man who wasn't feeling well and he went to his physician. He had to go get a checkup and after he went back, a couple weeks later after the checkup for the results, the, the doctor said, well, I have bad news and I have worse news. The man said, well, what's the bad news? physician said, well, the bad news is you have 24 hours to live. Well, what's the worst news? I should have told you yesterday, but I forgot. <laughs> Cute anecdote, but there's some important lessons to that. Number one, You never know when you might receive bad news. Number two, we don't have the promise of tomorrow. Number three, we should make all of our plans with an open hand. And number four, we should live every day for Christ. And maybe one more, a fifth lesson. We're all going to die one day unless the Lord comes back. 
The problem that James is acknowledging with the congregation of believers is that they were working. They were going about their plans. They were scheduling their activities. They were traveling businessmen, according to verse 13. They were traveling and doing their work. The problem isn't with that. The problem is with their heart attitude while going about their work, as if they're in control. And James says, verse 14, you don't even know what your life will be like tomorrow. And then he clarifies, you are just a vapor. You're a vapor. If you have the ESV or the NIV, you have a mist. You're just a mist. The idea in the Greek is you're a puff of smoke. You're like, you're like steam that comes up off that morning cup of coffee. You're like that breath on a cold day when you breathe and the breath goes out and then it's gone. It's here and then gone so quickly. Isaiah 40 talks about this. Psalm 37, Psalm 39 talks about how our, our days are so short. We're, we're like flowers of the grass. We're here today and then we're gone tomorrow. We're, we're blown and we're gone. We are brief. We are a vapor. We are a mist. We are just like a puff of smoke and we're gone. And yet you and I plan our schedule, we plan our itinerary, we've got all of our daily plans, and it's as if we go through life as if I'm in control of my future. What's the problem? The problem in verses 13 and 14 is here is the person who makes his plans without seeking the will of God. And without acknowledging that God is in control. And I want to show you this. Take your Bible and go back to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. I wonder if James, if James is writing perhaps because maybe he heard this teaching from his own brother Jesus. Look at Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 16. This is such a practical section. You know the story well. It's a parable. Luke 12, verse 16. Jesus told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself saying, what shall I do since I have no place to store any crops, uh, store my crops? Well, then he said, well, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and I will build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? What's the point of all of it? Look at verse 21. Here's the point. So it is with the man who stores up treasure for himself, and he is not rich toward God. Just living every day for the here and now as if I'm in control of my life. We have to remember, James is saying, That we are completely dependent upon God every day, 
every moment of our lives. You say, Jeff, I get that. I understand that. I know that. But yet you just told me in heading number one, make your plans. So how do we do this? How do we do this? How do we make plans God's way? Let me give you some very simple guides. Number one, make your plans biblically, biblically. Seek to survey the scriptures in your mind as you're going through the word of God. Make your plans biblically. You say, I know that, I understand that. Number two, make your plans prayerfully, prayerfully. Seek by God's grace and with God's help to pray, to pray when you're making plans. Number three, please get this as well. Make your plans thankfully. Why do I say that? Because the Lord probably will change them. So thank the Lord. Be thankful in all circumstances, Paul says. And with that, we ought to make our plans worshipfully. Worshipfully. Why? (laughs) When God changes those plans, I ought not to grumble. I ought to worship. Because I believe that my sovereign God is good. And then maybe one more that can be helpful for us. We ought to make our plans eternally mindedly. Eternally mindedly. Because your life is short. And every minute of your life is a gift from God. Use it well. Use it well. Make your plans. Do your activities. Do what God calls you to do. Do it well. Work hard. Give it your all. Eternity is soon coming. And as you make your plans, you recognize I'm not in control. But God is. God is. James, the pastor, is saying to the believers, come. You who say, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and I'm going to live my life and travel. And he says, wait, 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 wait. You've forgotten how short and brief your life is, and you've made your plans, and yet God isn't in your plans. So we need to know, number one, you ought to make your plans, but just do it the right way, recognizing you are not in control, but God is. So if James teaches us here in verses 13 and 14, number one, to make your plans, second, you need to get this. And we're going to camp here for a little bit just because it's so wonderful and life transforming. Number two, you got to know this, your God reigns. Your God reigns. Well, what's the better way? Pastor James, what do I do? Well, verse 15, I love how James is so clear. Instead, here's what you ought to say. Isn't that great? He just says, okay, here's what you do. Cookies on the bottom shelf. Everybody can get this. Instead, verse 15, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this and do that. Instead of presumption and self-sovereignty, And planning as if I'm in control of my own life 
and omitting God in my plans, James says, here's the better way. Here's the better way. Believe this. Submit to this. If the Lord wills. Now, I love that word, if. This is not an if of doubt. It's not an if of concern or worry or anxiety. No, no, no. This is the if of a confident reliance on the sweet wisdom of God. This is the if in verse 15 that my God is a God of good decrees. He is a sovereign God and a good father. And he promises to work everything out for your good. Everything. To those who love him and to those who are called. So you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will do this and do that and live. And I want to show you how Paul does this. Take your Bible and just go back with me to the book of Acts. And let's look at Paul's missionary journey in Acts chapter 18. In Acts 18, verse 21, this is the end of Paul's second missionary journey. And he's traveling, and he's leaving Corinth, and he's going through some different places before he begins the third journey. But Acts 18, 21, taking leave of them, here's what Paul said, I will return to you again if the Lord wills, if God wills. And then he set sail from Ephesus. Well then, if you turn to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul is just sharing his heart in 1 Corinthians 4 about a servant of Christ. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4:19, "I will come to you soon if the Lord wills, and I shall find out not the words of those who are arrogant, but their power." At the very end of the book of 1 Corinthians, in chapter 16, you can look at verse 7. Paul is giving some closing personal greetings to the church. Verse 7, I do not wish to see you now in passing, for I hope to remain with you for some time, if the Lord permits. Do you see that there? So here's Paul a number of different times acknowledging, here's my plan, here's what I want to do, here's my agenda, if the Lord wills. God is sovereign, he can change my plans. We have to balance that with this. Listen to Romans 1.13. I've often planned to come to you, but I've been prevented so far. Well, he had plans, but God prevented it. And then at the end of the book, Romans 15, 23, I have had for many years a longing to come to you, but he couldn't do it yet. In 1 Timothy 3, 14, Paul said, I am hoping to come to you before long. 2 Timothy chapter 4, twice, verses 9 and 21, Paul said to Timothy, make every effort to come to me soon. Come to me. So we have to balance making plans and yet recognizing at the same time, your God reigns. He reigns. Now, I want you to take your Bible. You've got to go with me to this verse. Go back to Proverbs chapter 16. And I want to show you exactly what 
can be so helpful for us when we are making plans and understanding that our God reigns as the sovereign king. Proverbs 16 and verse 9. Our Bible says, the mind of man plans his way. It's good. Plan, plan, plan. The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Or if you have the ESV, you have the word establishes. The Lord establishes. What a cool Hebrew word that is. The word direct or the word the Lord establishing his steps is a Hebrew word that means God has decreed. God has cemented. God has set it in stone. You plan your way and you want to. But just remember that it is the Lord who has decreed your steps. Make your plans. Go about what you need to do. But just know that God is the one who fixes, he decrees, he fortifies, he sets it in stone. That's why Psalm 115, 3 says, Our God is in the heavens and he does whatever he pleases. So God plans. God plans. Isaiah 46, God said, My purpose will be established. In Acts 4, all things happened according to what God's hand and purpose predestined to occur. God foreknows, he predestines, he calls, he justifies, he glorifies, Romans 8. That's a plan. Isaiah says to God, O Lord, you are my God. Your plans were formed from long ago with perfect faithfulness. Isaiah 25 verse 1. And we all know Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. God is a planning God. He is a planning God. He is a decreeing God. And yet we need to also recognize the great plan of God in bringing Christ into the world. He, he had a plan to bring his son into the world. God planned the virgin birth. He planned the obedient life. The Father planned the rejection and crucifixion. The Father planned the, res- the resurrection and the ascension. And-, and the Father has even planned the soon return of the Son of God. It is all planned. The death of Christ in the place of sinners, even at the hands of ungodly men, was planned and decreed by God. Men of Israel, listen to these words Peter preached. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed in your midst. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed him to a cross. Do you see how sovereign God is? It was ungodly men who rejected Jesus. They put him on a cross, and yet they were fulfilling the predestined plan of God. Jesus, in John chapter 16, tells us really his whole life, mission, and work. John 16, 28, I came forth from the Father. I have come into the world. I am leaving the world and I am going back to the Father. That's the whole plan of Christ. I've come from God, and I'm going back to the Father. 
planning is what God does. In Ezekiel 17, God said, I am the Lord. I have spoken. I will perform it. That's what our God does. He's sovereign. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does. Psalm 135, verse 6. Now, back to James 4, because I want to show you all that theology and all that truth that we've looked at. Now, back to James 4, verse 15. Here's what we ought to do and we ought to remember. We ought to say, verse 15, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or do that. Is this like a little magic phrase that you have to always say in order for it to count? No. No, God is not into superstition. Whether or not this is uttered from someone's lips is not the point of the text. If we just merely tack on the phrase, God willing, but then if we forget to say it at one point, does it mean that fire is going to come and strike us? No. You know and I know God aims for the heart, doesn't he? God wants the heart. He's not into a cute phrase at the end of something you say in order for it to magically work. God wants your heart. He wants the inner you. God wants you to know he is Lord when making plans, not us. God wants you to know that he is in control. And when we're making plans, we have to remember, I'm not in control. He is sovereign, and what God wants is we have to replace our self-confidence with confidence in the providence of God. So maybe as a reformed theologian, we say it like this. We delight in the decrees of God. We delight in that. We rest in the rulership of our king, we, we sing of the sovereignty of our God. We enjoy the enthronement of our Lord because we know your God reigns. He reigns. He reigns over all. And what we need to remember as we're looking at verses 13 and 14 right here, just sort of summarizing all that Pastor James has said. Number one, your life is short. He's taught us your life is unpredictable. You're just a vapor. You don't know what your life is going to be like tomorrow. Your life is feeble. And James has taught your life is at God's disposal. If it is the Lord's will. So you make your plans and and you fill your calendar and you do what you need to do. And and you do the the duties and the obligations that, that God has brought into your life. Make your plans. But remember, your God reigns. How do you know when you're beginning to shift away from that proper understanding? It's when you complain. When we complain, or a twin to that, when we're discontent. We have, we, have, we have nice words that we've said. I'm frustrated. Well, let's just call it what it is. I'm sinfully angry in my heart right now, but I prefer the polite way of saying it. I'm frustrated. 
or anxious or fearful or discontent or complaining or grumbling. When those occur in your heart and in your life, that is a revealing that at that moment you think you're in control. Because things aren't going your way according to your plan and you have forgotten to submit to the fact that my God reigns. So, Pastor James, Pastor James, in writing to the believers whom he loves, he tells them, here's how you make plans God's way. Three super important lessons. Number one, make your plans. Yes, make your plans. Number two, know that your God reigns. But oh, number three, number three, James says this, you got to mortify your pride. Mortify your pride. Because pride is like saying, I got this. I got it. And that's what verse 16 and 17 teach. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. Therefore, to the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. God wants your heart. He wants your heart. He's not looking for just the, the, the magic phrase that you just sort of utter from your lips and make it all better. He wants your heart. He wants the inner you. Why? Because when you and I make plans without submitting to God, James says, that's arrogance. It's arrogance. And verse 16, look carefully, but as it is, you boast. You're boasting in your arrogance. Arrogance. That second word, you're boasting in your arrogance, that idea of arrogance there, was often used in the Greek world to describe a charlatan. A charlatan who was traveling around selling phony goods. Things that weren't real. They weren't genuine. They were, they were just frauds. They were hucksters. James is saying, when you are boasting, when you are prideful, you're doing so in your arrogance. And that's like somebody with a proud assurance, trusting in your own power, trusting in your own resources. And that's just a charlatan way of living. Maybe you know the name J.B. Phillips. He has helpful paraphrases of the New Testament. He paraphrases verse 16 by saying, As it is, you get a certain pride in yourself in your planning of the future with such self-confidence. And then he said, that sort of pride is all wrong. It's all wrong. You know, all this reminds me of the French leader Napoleon. You know about him. Of course, planning to attack Russia in the early 1800s. And when he was planning this attack, there was someone who had discouraged him. And this friend of Napoleon said, you need to hear this. Man proposes and God disposes. Well, Napoleon heard that and the story goes he was livid. He was indignant. And he arrogantly replied, 
I dispose and I propose. There was a Christian who evidently was there and overheard that. And he wrote down in his diary, this is the downfall of Napoleon. He really believed that he was in control. He really believed that he had the power, that he had the resources, and that he could do whatever he wanted because he had the ability within himself. And that is the precise attitude that James is warning against. You're boasting in your arrogance as if you've got the power, as if you've got the resources, as if you've got the abilities within yourself. And all such boasting, James, the pastor says, that's evil. I mean, he just calls it what it is. It's evil. I mean, that's convicting. I am a planner, going back to that. I am a planner. My, my, so much of my life is planning things and ordering things. And I have my schedule and my agenda and all that I want to accomplish. But without God, making those plans without him, Holding them with a closed fist rather than an open hand. It's like James is saying, all that boasting is evil. It's evil. And now we all know verse 17. We often quote it, and it's, it's often quoted, it's kind of quoted as a, as a standalone statement. And it is, but it's in a context as well. Well, therefore, the one who knows the right thing to do and doesn't do it, to him it is sin. This is almost like James, the pastor, saying, well, you've been warned. Now that I've told you the matter of how to make plans God's way, you've got no excuse. If you know the right way to make your plans, but you don't do it, it's sin. This teaches the sin of omission. Now, we can commit sins of commission, things that we commit, things that we do against the Lord, but we can also commit sins of omission, to know what God says and not do it or omit doing what we ought to do. James says, if you know the right thing to do, if you know the way to plan, if you know how to order your life, if you know how to make your schedule, if you know how to go about your business with God's way and God's perspective, but you don't do it, to you it is sin. I wonder if James also remembers Luke 12. Go back to Luke 12, if you would. I know we were there earlier, but I want you to see this because there's so much of a parallel. Now, again, in Luke 12, this a little bit later in the chapter, Luke 12, Jesus is teaching on being ready for his return. Whether he comes in the second watch or in the third watch, you need to be ready and prepared because he's coming at an hour when you do not expect So look at verse 41, Luke 12, 41. Peter said, Lord, are you addressing the parable to us or to everyone as well? And the Lord said, who then is the faithful and sensible steward whom his master will put in charge of his servants to give them their rations at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. 
Truly, I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that slave says in his heart, my master will be a long time in coming, and he begins to beat his slaves, both men and women, and he eats and he drinks and he gets drunk. And then the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour that he does not know, he will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. What's the point? Verse 47. And that slave who knew the master's will, but he did not get ready, nor did he act in accord with his will, he will receive many lashes. What's the point? That servant knew his master's will but he didn't get ready. He didn't take action. He wasn't prepared. And and Pastor James is using that similar language saying, we know God's will. He's revealed it in the word. We know what God wants us to do. It's right here. Pastor James is writing it down. Be on guard. Mortify your pride. Put it to death. Trusting in your own power, your own resources, your own plans, James would say, is sin. It's sin. What's the better way? To lean on God fully. To lean on God fully. Now, I want to give you some sort of practical implementation points in a moment. But again, if I could summarize all of this in a very general way. Our text is not teaching you shouldn't make plans. Our text is not opposed to planning. Rather, God is telling you how to plan the right way. That's the point. Good planning is required. Good planning is taught. But the unbending, the arrogant, the self-confidence, the self-assertive, presumptuous planning, leaving God out, I'm doing what I want, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, and it's like God isn't even there. That's what James is speaking against. So in light of everything that we have read, everything that we have looked at in verses 13 to 17, let me give you some practical implementation points for making plans God's way. You get the main headings and you get the the teaching here, but what does this look like in my life and your life today, tomorrow, the next day? Number one, church family, I would encourage you to make plans with an open hand. And that's hard Because when I make plans, guess what? I want it to happen. And I like to make my plan, and then I like to close my fist and say, it's going to happen this way. But make plans with an open hand. Number two, a very important lesson for us is live stewarding the precious time that God has given you. Live stewarding the time. What does that mean? Every moment you live is a God-given gift. And we're going to give account for it every day, every hour. When time is gone, it cannot be recovered. When time is lost, it cannot be lived over again. It can't be brought back. 
And if our lives, as James says, is a vapor, if I'm just a mist and I'm here for a little while and then I vanish away and I go to eternity, I better make every hour count. Every minute. We're stewards. Whether you're a stay-at-home mom, whether you're retired, full-time pastor, missionary, whatever job, whatever vocation, whatever season of life, even young boys and girls, every day you live is a gift from God to you to use it well. A third piece of counsel by way of implementation, your brief. Death is sure and eternity is near. Just remember that, you're brief. I mean, we are brief and our death is sure and eternity, eternity, eternity is near. Oh, may may it never be that we would loiter on our heavenly journey. But that we would be sober-minded, that we would be living for the glory of God, that we would be making plans with God at the center of them, where we say, yes, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, but Lord, it's with an open hand. If you're going to change it, I must trust and rejoice in you. A fourth piece of counsel. Humbly plan. And then be thankful when God alters your plans. That's hard for me. But I want to be in control. I want to have my schedule. I want to have things done my way. And when God alters them, be thankful. Be thankful. Be thankful. Why? Not because things are harder. Because you got the flat tire, or you missed the flight, or that business deal fell through, or whatever. You're thanking God because you know that your good Father is giving you what you need, and He is withholding what is best. You thank your God when He changes your plans. And then number five, just a fifth piece of pastoral counsel to implement all of this. Rejoice and delight in the absolute sovereignty of God. Isn't it good to know that our God reigns? I mean, isn't it good to know that all of the rumors of war going on in our world, our God reigns? We can rejoice and we can delight and we can trust in the absolute sovereignty of our God. Your health, your money, your job, your family, your children, pregnancies, all that we have, our our God is in control of it all. So church family, we we make our plans. We we dedicate those to the Lord. We confess that we need his grace. We need his power. All that we have is a gift from our God. We've learned how to make plans God's way. I learned something this week. I learned a lot of things actually this week. But one thing that I learned in particular with this 
was in the Puritan era, in the Puritan era, the Puritans, and not only them, even the godly Methodists as well, when they would often correspond with one another and they would write letters, whether it was a Christian to a Christian or a husband to a wife or a pastor to a church, often they would sign their letters with the little initials D.V. D.V. And that, that stood for the Latin phrase Deo Valente, which meant God willing, God willing, God willing. And I thought, well, Why don't I do that? Why don't you do that? Why are there, not that we have to write out the letters, that's not what I'm getting at, but why do I often go about my day forgetting Lord willing? And it just might be that we're living in this society and it's so impacted us. There's this influence of our world that absolutely hates a sovereign God. We live in a culture that despises a decreeing God, an absolute God who reigns. But you know what? What a sweet reminder from the Lord. What a great lesson that we need to hear. DV, God willing, Lord willing. Church family, make your plan, have your schedule. Do your work, do your travels, have your vacation, fulfill your duties, but write it all in pencil. Because you know that God has the eraser, right? And he can also rewrite it in a permanent marker. I praise God that we worship a sovereign God. Father, thank you that you are sovereign. Take our lives Take our lips, take our feet, take our words, take our intellect, take all that we are and use it, use us, use every faculty of who we are as you would best choose for your glory. Help us to be good stewards of the time that you've given. Help us to make our plans God's way. Oh, Lord, take away grumbling and complaining and discontentment from us, oh, Lord. Lord, thank you. We we just thank you for the times when you do change our plans. You're in control, you're sovereign, you're wise, and you're good. And so we lift our hearts together in worship, acknowledging our God is in the heavens. And his sovereignty rules over all. So by your grace and with the enablement of the Holy Spirit, we want to put our pride to death and follow you with all of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.